You are listening to the Entrust Podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. Uh, you got your handout, Motivations for Evangelism. We're going to go ahead and get started on, on, on that. Uh, this tonight, if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be there in just a moment. Uh, but if we think about it, we started last week thinking about evangelism, sharing the good news with everybody. And um, as Christians, we're called to evangelism, but why should we be motivated to do so? And the more we understand Christ's love for us, the more we will want to share it with others, right? That's kind of the goal of what we're looking after. And so the question that you start asking around your table, well, a simple question, right? Uh, what are obstacles that keep us from sharing our faith? I imagine there's some common things that all of us would say, but as you talk around your table, why don't somebody give me uh, an answer to that? What are some obstacles that keep us from sharing our faith? What you got? Fear of judgment of others. Fear of judgment of others, right? If somebody's going to think, that, well, who are you to share your faith with me? Okay, what's another one? Fear of offending others. Fear of offending others, right? Like, am I going to say, oh, you're in sin? It's going to frustrate them, and they're going to push back. Okay, what else? Family, yeah. Especially when you, I mean, like, I can evangelize uh, a stranger a lot better than I can a family member, right? Because when you cross that line, you go, man, we're really going to get into some some uh, uncharted territory here. Yep. The inability to articulate the gospel. Yeah, the inability to articulate the gospel. Am I going to mess something up by, by what I share, right? I think that's a, a sincere issue. So, one more. Pride. Pride, yeah. Pride in the sense of like, well, who am I? Or maybe, I'm, or on the other end of it, like, well, I am probably I got it all together, right? Okay, so let me... Just, you should be like me. Either one of those are, are dangerous, obviously, for us, right? So, so as we think about that, I want us to talk tonight about why should we share. And the scriptural motivation is going to come from 2 Corinthians. And so we're going to read some of this part together. I'm going to give you kind of a line in your outline to, to share it first. Uh, and then I'm going to unpack the scripture there for you uh, as, as we think about it. Because the first reason that we share the gospel, once again... We can share biblical truth with people, but there's also the gospel message of, hey, this is the message that you need to believe to be saved, right? Why do we share that? Well, the first reason is we have a proper uh, perspective on eternity, right? We have a proper perspective on eternity, or we should have a proper perspective on eternity. The old preachers used to say, why do we share Jesus with other people? Why do we share the gospel? They would say, because hell is hot and eternity is long, right? Okay, clear enough. Like, why do we share the gospel with people? Well, because... Everybody's going to live somewhere forever. The issue is none of us know when our last day will be. Uh, if you knew when your last day would be, God would allow us plenty of time to kind of think through when we want to come to Christ, right? Uh, I had a family member who I remember just kept putting it off, kept putting it off, and one day said, I'll, I'll make it right with Jesus. I'm like, how do you know when your last day is going to be? Like, you, you need to live as if this could be your final day, and you're going to live somewhere forever. forever. And people who will say, well, this is so difficult and challenging for me to consider. Like, why would God cause us to, to live in eternity in hell like without him? Well, well, the reality is this, is that we choose that when we deny him, right? Uh, throughout all our life, uh, Jesus is, is calling out to us, and every time we say, uh, stay away from me, get your nose out of my business, let me live my life. At eternity, God says, I'll give you what you asked for, okay? Like, I'll give you what you've asked for in this situation. And so if we have a proper perspective on eternity, it causes us to want to evangelize more. If you knew, right? Let's just say, um, uh, I have been in moments before where uh, 
on an airplane and the turbulence kind of hits and all of a sudden everybody wants to pray. I don't know if you've ever been there, okay? But you kind of want to say, all right, now everybody's thinking about eternity. Let, let's, let's get this right. Uh, I always think back, everybody remembers what it was like on 9-11. You can probably remember where you were when that happened. I'm trying to remember the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th. Where, where were you on the 17th or 18th, whatever it was, right? That The, the day that basically um, everybody went to church, right? What day am I thinking of? Because Tuesday was the 11th, Sunday was 16th, 15th, we were like, doing that. Okay, um, I just remember at that church, I don't know if you remember, if you remember that day, I just remember the next Sunday, you couldn't find the seat in any church. Everybody was looking for answers, right? Everybody wanted, like, because they were thinking of eternity. Think about war. Think about, they were scared. And everybody rushed to church, and then once we got past the crisis, guess what happened? Church didn't take again, right? So, so there's, there's an element of, We've got to have a proper perspective of eternity. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Okay, He says, For we know that if our earthly, what's the word he uses here? Tent. Now, when you think about an earthly tent, what do you think about the lodging of someone who's going to live in a tent? How long are they going to be there? Temporarily, Temporarily right? They're, they're not long in that spot. So if I were to say, hey, everybody, we're going to go camping this weekend, and we start unpacking our tents, and all of a sudden I get a vacuum cleaner out to stick in the tent and a bedside lamp and, you know, all this other kind of stuff, you'd be like, bro, you ain't going to be here that long, right? Well, I would push back to you and say, so why do we live as if we are going to be living in this tent for a long time? It says we're our earthly tent, well, we live in this life, it's like a tent. One day it's going to be what? Destroyed. A tent's going down. But what do we hope we have? We have a building, which is a little bit different than a tent, and it comes from God. An eternal dwelling in where? In the heavens, and it's not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. So the reality is this. Every single person in this room, you will live forever somewhere. You will live forever in the presence of God, or you will live forever separated from the presence of God. Heaven or hell. Everybody will live forever. Everybody you come into contact with, everybody in your family, everybody in your friends, everybody you will drive by tonight, everyone will live somewhere forever. That is the reality. One day this tent is going away. And so that should cause us to have a little bit more desire and push about evangelism. I, I think through the people in Maui, Hawaii, knew what was about to come to them the last couple weeks, right? Some of them would have thought, I probably need to talk to somebody about my eternity. I would hope and pray that there are some people in California right now that are starting to think, huh, should I pray? Should I seek help with a storm that's approaching, right? We live, we share, we, we share the gospel because we do have a proper perspective on eternity. Second reason we share is because we have a deep desire to please God. I don't know if you ever considered this, but evangelism, when it comes down to it, why do we want to evangelize? Well, because God says it's important. Well, why is it important? Because he loves people, and he's called us to obedience. And so for every single one of us, what ought we to do? We should uh, desire to share Christ with others because we have a deep desire to please God. Here's what verse 9 says. Therefore, whether we are at where? Home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to who? Him. Now, when you think about this, you go, okay, if I'm at home or away, what does this mean? Well, throughout this whole time, God's been talking about somewhere forever, right? So that means this. 
If you've ever felt like this world isn't enough, can I tell you why? It's never meant to be. You ever felt frustrated in this life? Ever feel like this world can't provide what your soul's aching for? The reality is, it can. And so one day, we are, we are built for another longing. We are built for another reality. We are built to be where we belong. And can I just say, the United States of America is not my home. Heaven is. That's where I'm going. Uh, I thought about buying, I love, I love this t-shirt. I, I saw it downtown Greenville. as well. Map from South Carolina and it says home. And I'm like, I've always lived, I've been a citizen of South Carolina all my life, and I kind of feel that way, but I just won't buy it. You know what? That ain't my home. Like that's that that's where my driver license says that I live. I get that. Well, Philippians chapter three says that my citizenship is in heaven. I'm going somewhere to live forever. So what he's saying here is whether we're in heaven with him, we want to be pleased to him. Whether we're absent from him and we're on this earth and we are in that tent, we want to be pleasing to him. And so if God says he cares for the lost souls of this world and he wants us to do something about it, then what all we do, our aim is to please him. Our aim is to share the gospel with other people. That's what we want to do. Why else do we share? We know that we will be judged. Well, I thought, I always thought judge was a bad, you know, thought for us as Christians. It's bad when it's in the wrong context, but can I tell you who the great supreme judge over all of us is? It's God. And so this is what happens, that we will be judged. We, we know that one day, what verse 10 is going to tell us is that we're going to appear one day, and there will be a sense of judgment that we have at least got to uh, encounter. This is what verse 10 says. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. When I was in high school, everybody used to, there's a bunch of guys that are friends with that always used to have these shirts that say, only God can judge me, right? And I go, you right? Okay, like, he's going to one day, okay? Like, I don't know if he'd be like, only God can judge me, because he will. And not only does he see your actions, but he knows your heart, right? That, that, that's the issue here is that he knows your heart. So one day, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I know this. I am not getting into heaven because of my own merit, right? I'm not going up to heaven. And they're like, man, you've been such a swell guy. You're in. That's not going to happen. The only way I get into heaven is if I know Jesus Christ, right? And he says, this one's with me. It's the only way that happens. But the way that we live our life, there really is this sense of that God sees what we do on earth. And there, there is value attached to what we do on earth that lives on for eternity. And so we should live in such a way on this earth that's thinking about what's going to last in heaven. We also share because we have an understanding of God's holiness. Um, once again, uh, just for those who might know, uh, a lot of times holy we think of as a sacred person or a sacred space. But holiness literally means this. It means that you set apart something. Uh, you might even say it this way. It is other than, right? That you think about that we have this understanding of God's holiness that we are set apart for him and, and God is set apart. He is other than. So that's why uh, Isaiah has his vision and all these angelic beings are saying holy, 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 right? Set apart, set apart, set apart. Other than, other than, other than. That God is so holy that when he calls us to do something, he should be so set apart in our life 
that it's not like God's asking you to do something and your boss is asking you to do something and your spouse is asking you to do something. God is set apart in all the people who have rights over our life. So to understand God's holiness means this. Therefore, verse 11, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to what? Persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your consciousness, right? So, so with this, we understand, we have an understanding of God's holiness. We know that he is holy. We, we know that we are perfectly not holy, right? And so we have the Spirit of the Lord knowing who he is and what he's able to do. And so what do we try to do? We try to persuade people. Now, um, this phrase, by the way, this is kind of challenging for me because I know this. You can have the best arguments in the world to try to win somebody to Jesus, but at the end of the day, who truly converts somebody? The Holy Spirit does, right? He's the one who transforms somebody in the heart. It's not me. And I go, you know, one time I had this track and it worked on everybody. No, it didn't. Okay, right? I had this argument one time and I tell my testimony and everybody got saved. You know, I, this person got saved, this person got saved, the light pole got saved. Everywhere I went, right? Hey, everybody I shared with, everybody's coming to Jesus. Like, that's not, but, but here's the thing. There's also this, this weird balance that some people would say, well, God's sovereign. He's responsible for who's going to save and You really don't need to do your efforts. I think that in the complexity of evangelism, this wonderful thing. Um, I know that God is responsible for salvation, but he allows me the opportunity to share Christ with people. So I have a friend who says it this way. Uh, he says that he shares Christ as if it depends on him, but he sleeps well at night knowing that it all depends on God. Right? Like, I, I want to give my best to people. And I want to try to persuade people. And I want to try to tell them, hey, taste and see the Lord is good. But at the end of the day, I know that the power is not in me. So this is not to be like um, a, a grimy salesman approach, right? That's, that's not what he's asking you to do here. But can I also say that if you're sharing the gospel with somebody, there should be a level of persuading, like, no, you really need to do this, right? Like, I'll give you an example. Last best restaurant you've been to. Think about it, right? Last best restaurant you've been to. Might be McDonald's. Uh, maybe some of you are like, no, okay. Some of you might have been Taco Bell. Some of you might be like, oh, no, I went Outback, whatever it is. Last best restaurant you went to. Do you have a problem telling somebody else that they should try that thing? No. Like, man, this is so good, right? This is incredible. Like, I, I, like, I, I want to tell other people, like, this is a really good place. Like, you, you should go there. It's not awkward to do so. You have tasted and you have seen is good. Okay, right? And you want to invite other people to go to it. Uh, I was at the beach years ago, and there was somebody from up north, and uh, we were standing out at the beach one night, and he, uh, he said, hey, we're not from this area, but we're looking for, like, a good seafood place. I said, a good seafood place? Like, a good seafood place. I said, okay, I, I got a list for you. He said, have you ever heard of Captain D's? All right. Now, I love me some Captain D's. I ain't going to lie. Right now, I mean, thinking about that, I, I, I love some Captain D's. Would I say that's authentic seafood that you want to have when you're at the coast? Now, I can think of some other places I'd go to before Captain D's, okay? Bless his heart. I love Captain D's. Okay? I'm not, not hating on it, man. It gets some of them hush puppies, and I, I, I can go back to town. But I'm saying if you really want authentic seafood, that's not where I'm going, okay, right? I'm going to go to something where, like, it's still dripping when it comes to your, to your table, right? Like, it, it's still, this is fresh, right? And, and so when you go to a place like that, you have no problem saying, oh, you need to try this spot, right? Like, you really need to try the Answer House. You need to try Sarah J's. You need to try these places. And, man, it's really good seafood, and you want, and it's no problem. And you, you're, what are you trying to do? You're trying to persuade people 
Don't go to Captain D's. <laughs> if you have the option tonight between this and this, I want you to know this is so good and, and you ought to go. Same way if you were to see some movie that you really like, which is hard to find really good movies these days, but if you found one, oh man, you need to go see this. This is so good. Man, it's so uplifting. And you know, whatever, hey, I want you to go see this. It, it's easy to persuade. When it comes to Jesus, when we share about him, we should not sound like we're paying ourselves to talk about him, right? He should be like, this, he's the best thing in my life. Like, I can't tell you how much, like, purpose and joy he's given me. Let me tell you what it was like when I met him. And I was seven years old and this happened and he's changing my life right now. Like, and what are you doing? You are saying, I have tasted and I have seen he is good and I just want you to know him, right? You're not being pushy, but it is, it is persuading. We also share because we love Christ and we love other people. That should be our heart. That should be our goal, that we understand we love Christ, we love others. And so due to that love, um, that is so important. This is the element I was talking about last week, that a lot of times when you find somebody who preaches uh, on the street, sometimes you might find accurate theological statements, but you don't feel a whole lot of love, Right? I almost feel like you're kind of enjoying the fact that I'm not walking with the Lord right now. Like, I need, I need to feel that love that you have for me, right? And, and so uh, I think about so many testimonies. I, I really encourage, uh, you know, a, a wonderful testimony you can look up on YouTube or you can read the book. Um, Rosaria Butterfield is a great story of a lady who was a college professor at Syracuse University. She was a feminist. She was a... Uh, in a lesbian relationship, she was so against the church, she would write articles in the newspaper bashing Christianity. And a pastor said, hey, I read your article the other day. I'd like to help fill in the gap in some of the questions that you had about the church. And she's like, oh, yes, free research. I'm going to bash this guy. Where do you want to meet in your office? He goes, why don't you come over and me and my wife will cook you a meal. What? Come over to our house and we'll just have the meal. And she said for the first few months, all this pastor and his wife did was just cook a meal, invite her over, and make her feel like she was part of the family. Never condemned her in her sin. Never said, you've got to change this before you come in our house again. Just loved her. And you know what she says in her testimony? Over time, Christ became so compelling to me because I experienced the love from this couple. That, that's something to say, right? So often we're sharing Christ, we're like, here's the things you need to know. And you know what, if you die tonight, you're going to hell forever. And you'll be like you're hot. You know, like, I don't know if that's always the way. That that's not exactly showing love to other people, right? So here's what it says in verses 12 through 14. We are not commending ourselves to you again. We're giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than the heart. For if we are out of our mind, I love this statement, it is for God, but if we are in a right mind, it is for you. What are you saying? Uh, some of your translations will say, if we are crazy, okay, if we seem out of the way a little bit, it's because we are committed to God, and we, we don't mind what you necessarily think, but I love this. The love of Christ compels us. Why do we share? Because we just love Jesus so much, and we love people so much, we want them to know him. Why, why do we go? Since we have reached this conclusion that one, he died for all, and therefore all of us have died. So we say this, there should be a deep down heart love for other people, and that should be evident. And we should say, the love of Christ compels us. If I understand that Jesus Christ loves me the way that I am, it should cause me to want to go and share him with other people. 
to know that he cares for those people. This, this is what's mind-blowing for me. Like, um, you know, sometimes, it, sometimes in church we pray funny stuff. Like, sometimes like, Lord, you know that the person I ran into the other day, you know, she's the one with the brown hair, kind of kind of short. You know what I'm talking about. He's like, I know. <laughs> like, I created that person. You don't, you don't have to worry about, like, I know. And so sometimes, Lord, I really want you to try to get that person's attention. He's like, what do you think I've been doing? Okay, like, I love this person more than you love this person. The family members that are on my heart, the neighbors that I'm trying to be intentional with, God loves them more than I'll ever love them. And so when I consider how he loves them, it should compel me to want to share that love and also to express it. We also share because we live for the risen king. We don't serve some ancient religious figure who has died and forgotten. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, is alive today, and is one day coming back. He is the risen king. He is victorious. He is bringing about a kingdom. And so we get to go with that authority, not to have to be fearful. Verse 15 says it this way, And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, right? but for the one who died for them and was raised. So when we say this, I'm not going to live for my own initiatives, but I want to live for Jesus who died on the cross, who's risen victoriously from the grave, and now I can go in the power of that. We also share because we know that God will change lives. You know, how do you know that? Has your life been changed by Jesus? Mine has. I was hopeless without him. It's full of fear, full of anger, full of regret. Uh, uncertain, un unloving. Uh, there were so many things. And I look back over my life and say, oh, God has changed my life. I look over this room and the stories that I know and go, man, God has changed your life. You go, there's a lot of times people will resort to arguments about the Christian faith, but you know what they can't argue with? They can't argue with results. And if Jesus Christ has changed your life, you know, it, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, I, I, I was just thinking about recently, we had, we had a uh, baptism service, and I had a family member come up to me and said, my family member is different. Like, they're just a different person now. I used to know them like this, and it's just a completely different person now. Like, the eyes are different. The face is different. The conversation is different. They're just different. Do you believe that Jesus can still change lives? Here's what he says in verse 16 and 17. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, right? I love that line. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is what? In Christ, he is a, say it with me, new creation. Old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Some of you say, man, my past is so messed up. Well, good thing it's in the past. Amen? Man, I made so many horrible mistakes. Well, great, isn't that awesome to say it in past tense? Man, I was so far away from God. Well, isn't that awesome? He wasn't far from you. Man, I ran away from God for decades. Well, guess what? He never gave up on you. Like, that's the past, right? That's who you used to be. Now, you are in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. Something's different now. Um, some of you all know that, uh, some of you new folks may, may not know this, but in addition to the four services that we, we've got here on a Sunday, we're also uh, helping out some uh, three other churches in our area and also trying to help start some stuff at Perry Correctional down the road. And so on Wednesday uh, was one of my times to preach. I preached there a couple times a month. And on Wednesday, it's, just, it's one of these things you never know what you're going to get into, right? It's hot gym. Uh, everybody's getting counted. We're getting this kind of stuff in. And, and some of the guys came with me and said, Pastor Travis, can you play the drums? Now, they said that because 
I play bass for them and I play guitar for them sometimes in the worship band. They say, can you play the drums? I said, not so much. I can keep a simple beat. They're like, that's all we need. I'm like, no, no, no. I said, what's the song? I'm not exactly sure what it's called. You'll be fine. I'm like, I don't know if I feel good playing drums on a song I've never heard in a gym full of over 100 plus inmates. And then all of a sudden you realize you're outvoted, right? They're like, please just keep a beat, right? So I get in there and like, this is all you need to know. I'm like, what's that mean? That means it's a break. Okay, <laughs> that, that's the music break. So, so here I am, and I am playing drums. It is not my primary instrument. I'm trying to get a good pocket. I'm trying to play the drums. I'm trying to do my own thing, right? And, and so we're having all this wonderful time, and then all of a sudden, the drummer comes in. And by the way, I, I, the whole time I said, where is the drummer? Like, he's not here. I said, what's he at the store? Like, where is he, okay? Like, like somebody tell me, where's the drummer at right now? So eventually he comes in the middle of a song and I'm like, come here. Like, no, you're doing good. I said, get over here now. Okay, like, I don't care what you're in here for, but you were going to get these drumsticks for me on this next song, right? And, and I love spending time with those guys. And you know what? There are some of those guys that I know what they're in there for and some of them I don't. And at the end of the day, it really don't matter. You know why? The old has passed away. Amen. The new has come. Some of these guys are never going to see outside of Paris. But you know what? They are freer than some of the people that were in our church house today. That's just facts. Amen. Facts. Because the issue is this. So many people have never realized that they need to be converted. They need to change. And they're so stuck in their ways. And these guys are like, I'm never getting out of here. But Jesus Christ has saved me. And that is my past. But I'm now going to move forward in the freedom that is in Jesus Christ. If we truly believe this, do you believe that Jesus can change lives? Like, I don't believe any inmate, any person, anybody rebellious or religious is too far away from God. So when, I, when, I, when I'm sharing, some of you are like, oh, I'm in a bad situation. I'm like, that, that don't scare me. You don't know my past. Yeah, but God does, and he hasn't walked away. You don't know how many people I've hurt. You know what? Or you don't know what I've done. Well, guess what? The person who, who even wrote this passage, by the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, guess what? He killed pastors. Put that in perspective. Some of y'all are like, I did too. Okay, we need to talk after this. Okay, <laughs> but I doubt... As I'm looking out, I don't think most of you would say, yeah, that's what I did last week. I just rounded up a bunch of pastors and killed them, right? Threw them in jail. So if, if that's not in your story, and the guy who did this can say, my past is gone, what's keeping you from walking free? Right? That was my past, but now, now the news come. Do we truly believe that no matter how busted up or broken somebody is, how sinful they've been, do we believe that the gospel can change their life? And if so, we can go in that power. Also, we share because of this. We've been invited to be involved. God, God could win people without us, but he invites us to the process. Isn't that beautiful? And he's saying, hey, look, I want you to be involved. I, I'm, I'm I can do this without you. Uh, probably it'd be easier without us, right? I often say, I think about the book of Numbers. Y'all remember that time that God spoke through a donkey? He did the same today in this church, okay? I <laughs> said, like... Uh, there are many times that God uses the least and unlikely and things that you, you won't see. And, and yet, a lot of times what God is doing, hey, take all your dysfunction, all your issues, and I, I want you to be involved. But God, you can find somebody better. And he's like, yeah, I, I know, but I want you. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He's not dependent upon us, but he, he's inviting us to be involved. Here's what it says in verses 18 to 20. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of what? Our ministry, I love this, our ministry is this. Hey, you walked away from God, I'm going to reintroduce you to him. You've been distant from him for all your life, but he hasn't stopped loving you. I want to bring you guys back together. 
That's what the gospel is. That's what evangelism is. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to who? Himself. Not just church. Not just religion. God is saying, you've been distant from me and I'm not okay with that chasm. Come on back. Right? That's what God is calling us to. Not counting their trespasses against them. Is anybody thankful that God doesn't count our trespasses against us? Man. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Hey, no matter how much you've messed up in the past, I'm going to give you an assignment here. Therefore, we are what? We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through who? Us. This is amazing. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Don't miss this. Don't, don't overlook this. This beautiful thought that we get to be the ambassadors and when we speak on behalf of people, God is making an appeal through our mouths to say this. He loves this person and he hasn't given up on this person and he still desires relationship with this person. That's amazing. I can't think of a better news in the world to share with somebody. But to say that God wants you back. We also can share because of this reason. We have become the righteousness of Christ. We've become the righteousness of Christ. The scripture tells us that none of us are righteous, not even one. And yet righteousness is required to be in heaven. Well, how are we going to receive it? Because Jesus Christ has become that for us. Here's what verse 21 says. He made the one who did not know sin to what? Be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So one day we are literally what's called, uh, the old hymn says, uh, clothed in his righteousness, right? That we are wrapped up in the righteousness of Christ. Um, Years, uh, years ago, when I was about 30, I tried to train to be in a triathlon, and then I broke my ankle right before the race, and then I just stopped trying to run or bike or any of that other stuff for about 10 years of my fatherhood and everything else. And when I turned 40, I had a panic moment. If I'm ever going to do a triathlon, it ain't going to get any easier. I better do it now, right? So those in the church know that uh, I've done now two, and in a couple weeks, I've got another one coming up, and I pray that I don't die. Uh, you know, when you do all the swimming and you do all this biking and you do all this running and whatnot, I've been trying to, to get back in, in shape to do it. But the funniest thing happened the first year, so nervous about doing it. And I was so thankful. I was one in Spartanburg and I thought, nobody knows me at this thing. And I go and register and all of a sudden uh, they, they, they check me out and they make sure or whatnot. They put me on a scale, which I was like, hey, you don't know me. Well, we got to get you all, all, you know, like, all really uh, a little bit too close here or whatever. So we, we need the, the, um, weigh you here and all of a sudden they said turn around and they just get a marker and they start marking stuff on my calves and I'm like what are you doing and they, I just see down there MC and I was like MC what's that mean right they said well uh, the M stands for master I said what does the master mean they're like you're over 40 I was like why you gotta tell everybody that okay right <laughs> what's the C stand for Clydesdale you mean those big horses they're like yeah I said what's that mean they're like not many people in your weight category tries to do one of these things. So as you're running or everybody's passing you, we want to know you are an old big horse. Basically, is what they're saying, okay? You are an MC. So I'm running. Here's the Master Clodsdale, the old horse riding out that should not be doing this. I'm sitting here looking. There's only seven of us in the race. I'm like, yep, it's you. It's you. I can just tell, right? You just know. A lot of guys my size don't, don't try these things. But 
Then, so they, they do the MC, and then all of a sudden, they hand me this shirt, and it's a triathlon shirt. It says I'm a triathlete. And I said, you don't give this to me at the end of the race? They're like, no, you can go ahead and get it. I'm like, huh, that ain't bad. <laughs> okay, I'm sitting here thinking, I could take this shirt, and I could leave this place, and nobody know the difference with that. Okay, like, I can walk all around, and everybody think, man, you're a triathlon, you got the shirt. I, I was sitting here thinking, like, do I really want to put my body through this? And all of a sudden, I hear, Pastor Travis? I'm like, oh, no. Okay, like, somebody sees me, right? And, and so the thought process was, wasn't it crazy, that before I'd ever competed, something was given me to show me who I was before I'd ever done anything about it. It looked as if I was a triathlete when in reality I had not yet competed. And yet when I think about that, I think about how I am dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Before I ever start displaying righteousness, God clothes me with a different type of wardrobe. I used to live for the world, but he says, no, you're in Christ. You're new now. You were dressed in his righteousness and his righteousness alone. And so when you see me, I've still got issues. But let me just tell you, you don't see my old clothes anymore because Christ has clothed me. He's made me new. And so that allows me to honestly move forward with this. And so if we think about all those different things, we, then the question comes, why aren't we motivated? Why, why don't we share? Well, typically, you guys have already expressed some of these reasons, but let's go through them together. We are afraid to witness. First and foremost, we are scared. A lot of different reasons why we are scared. A lot of different things that we can come up with, excuses-wise. But down... To the core, we're just afraid. So if we're going to push back against that, we've got to consider this. Identify what your fears are, right? So if, if your fear is, um, I don't know how to share the gospel, then guess what you need to learn how to do? Share the gospel, right? Makes sense. I'm fearful that somebody's going to think that my past is too messed up. Guess what? That's the point of the gospel, okay? You actually are the best one to share it. I was so messed up, and you're messed up too. Guess what? I found Jesus, and you can find Jesus too. you got to identify what are those fears that are keeping you, and then recognize that you are not alone in struggling with fear. You're not the only person who's ever struggled with this fear. Did you know that the Apostle Paul would oftentimes, at the end of his letters, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, you know it, a lot of times at the end of his letters, you know what he would say? He would say, tell so-and-so, I said, hey, don't forget to do this. Oh, and by the way, will you pray for me? And you know what the Apostle Paul often asked people to pray for? Pray that I would preach boldly. The guy who wrote the book of Romans is asking people to pray. Pray that when I share the gospel, I can do so boldly. He's as bold as a sledgehammer to the soul, right? Okay, he, what do you mean? Like, he goes, no, no, no. Sometimes I struggle with fear. Sometimes I'm overcome by it. Can I just tell you, as a pastor, sometimes I still get a lump in my throat before I share the gospel with somebody. I'm sitting going, oh, do I want to go in this? Because if I cross this line with the neighbor, it's going to be weird from here on out. Okay? No turning back. Pastor Jenny, sometimes lump in the throat still happens for people, right? Do it all the time. You just get you, you meet fearful. You can go and you can share and you can go and all the time and yet you go, what's this person? You're not alone. Right? 2 Timothy 1 7, God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. We, we got to push back against that. Um, why are we motivated? We're afraid of witness. Second thing, we don't know how to witness. We don't know how. No one has ever either given us a, a way to do it or we have felt 
incapable or we've never learned how to do things, we don't know how to witness. I was a college student and part of a training program. Can I tell you how I learned how to witness? They dropped us off in a van at the Colorado Mall and said, go share Christ for the afternoon and we'll come pick you back up at dinner time. Just with random people? Yep. You learn a whole lot of stuff there, okay? Because it's just, it, it's hard. And I just remember, how did I learn? Well, I had to start just getting the process. But if you feel like you don't know how to witness, first and foremost, you need to know the message, right? You got to know what you're communicating. And while there are wonderful tools and tips, and some of them in the next few weeks, we're going to be sharing some with you. Hey, here's a way that you can share Christ with somebody. But can I just say this? Before you know any type of specific method, you need to know the message, right? Sometimes we complicate things in church. I don't know if y'all realize that, right? I said last week that evangelism sometimes can be, uh, uh, I would say, simplified to this. One beggar telling another Brit a beggar where to find bread, right? Hey, I have issues. You got issues. Let me, let me tell you, it's changed my life. So you got to know the message. What is the gospel message, right? What are we trying to communicate? But you also need to know the method. What is it that you want to do? And, and um, I will say this, that um, I was initially trained in a method of evangelism that basically is say this, and so-and-so is going to say that, and then you say this, and so-and-so says that. But what if somebody changes on the script, right? This is where if you've ever had a conversation with somebody like of Jehovah's Witness faith, they have studied and memorized a whole lot more than some of us Christians would. You know what? The problem is, a lot of times when I've talked with Jehovah's Witness, they've got certain things they say to you, and if you ask a question, they can't respond to it, so they just go back and say what they just said. It's just copy and paste. They, they memorize this stuff, and I'll say, hey, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that again, but I asked about this, right? They can't. They don't know. So, so I say this to go, I think it's good for you to have a few methods under your belt that you kind of feel comfortable with, but you also have to know the message well enough that if somebody asks a question or kind of throws a curveball, that you can stand on your own two feet. But I'd also say this, begin where you are, right? Because if you wait until the day that you have a wonderful, nice, and tidy theological presentation that is rock solid and airtight before you share the gospel, let me tell you when you'll share the gospel. Never. Never. You'll never get around to it. Start where you are. You go, all I've got is my testimony. That's a good place to start. All I got is that I know that God loves everybody and Jesus died on the cross for them. Hey, you got a pretty good start here, right, okay? So, so where can you start where you are? And, and just thinking about, like, just, just no matter what the situation is, start exactly where you are and start looking at the people around you and what knowledge do you have, and that might be the, the most life-changing thing you can ever give. I just, I'll be honest with you, some of us miss wonderful months and years of our life. We come to Christ, and we're just quiet about it at first. I just want to, like, go tell everybody, right? You go, I don't know enough. You're never going to know enough. There's always been more that you can learn, but what do you know? What can you share? I always think back to the uh, John chapter 9, that used to be blind, right? Who did this? What do you know about that Jesus? Blah, blah, blah. What about your parents? And he goes, look, y'all ask me a lot of questions. I don't know. This is all I know. I used to be blind. Now I can see. You got more questions? Go talk to him. I think he's over there. Okay, right? 
Like, so, so for some of you, you might go, I, I don't have an evangelism strategy. Can you look at somebody and say, I used to be blind, but now I can see. I used to be lost, but now I'm found. I used to be so confused, but now I feel like I, it, it all makes sense. Like maybe that's where you've got to start. Some of us are motivated because we don't think we have our life in order. I'd agree with you. <laughs> okay. You do not have your life in order. I do not have my life in order. None of us are perfect. The people who act perfect are the ones who make me nervous anyway, right? Because they're not selling evangelism. They're not selling the gospel. They're selling themselves. And so you may say you don't have your life in order, and I would say, yeah, I believe that because there's no perfect witness. Nobody. Paul wasn't perfect. Peter's not perfect. Billy Graham wasn't perfect. Your pastor's not perfect. Not one person is perfect. Well, my grandma was a real nice lady. Grandma had her issues too, okay? Everybody did. Everybody did. There's no perfect witness. So once again, if Christianity was a religion of, look how awesome I am, we got a problem. But if Christianity is, look how awesome my Savior is, guess what? You don't have to have your life perfectly in order. You're, you're not perfect. In fact, God can actually use your struggles as a powerful witness. This is could be the game changer for some of you tonight. Have you ever considered that that area in your life that you are ashamed of might be the very vehicle that God wants to use? You ever considered that uh, maybe in your life where those things that are broken and sad and distorted and a missed decade here and a family situation there that you feel so overwhelmed by, have you ever considered the thing that you wanted to kind of brush under the rug and nobody know about that God is saying, actually, that's what I want to use. It's amazing to me when I've sat in my office before and somebody will say, Pastor Travis, I'm sure you don't know anything about what's going on in my life, but here it is, and I try not to smirk because they're telling me stuff that I've been through. And I can say, I know this is hard, but let me tell you what God's done in my life. Can you realize that maybe some of you in your past, divorce may be something that you regret and you think is horrible, but have you ever thought that maybe God would use what he's done even through such a horrible moment in your life for somebody else who feels helpless? Some of you may say, you know what, an area of addiction in my life was a stronghold for so long, but now I found Jesus. Can you imagine that maybe you could talk to somebody with addiction a lot better than I could? Because you walked through it. Maybe you've had this... this continue just to, to struggle in a certain type of sin, God can actually use those struggles even as a powerful witness. And we remember that if someone is saved, it's not up to you, it's up to God. God does the saving, not you. It's his strength, not your example. You don't need to wait till you have it all together because, spoiler alert, you won't. You're not. You're not going to have it all together. And so when we share, we're not waiting until we get some type of spiritual maturity. I looked at a mentor of mine years ago, and I thought this person was one of the godliest people I knew. And I said, have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you're just so close to God, you feel like, eh, I kind of worked through all the issues and kind of in a good spot. And he just looked and started laughing. He said, I feel like the closer that I get to God, the further I see how I actually have been away from him. It's kind of like, a, y'all know if you get one of those, like, a, from afar, you, you look into a mirror and you go, I'm looking pretty good today. And then you get up close, and those lights turn on, and you go, ooh. Okay, like, like, the closer you get to the light sometimes, right, 
the more blemishes that you see. The closer that I get to God, the more things that I see in me that is broken, which is why it makes the salvation even more beautiful because of what he has in mind. And a lot of us may not involve ourselves because we just don't think we have time. We don't think we have time. We're so busy, so much going on. Do we really have the time to be able to share with somebody else what's going on and, and to share the gospel with it? I wouldn't just say that we need to make time. You need to leave a few minutes early for that unexpected conversation, right? You need to be intentional to invite that person over for a meal. You need to take the opportunities that are there and share when you can. Um, I know this about my life and yours. We have time for what's important to us. I always make time for the things that are important to me. And it might be watching that ball game. It might be going to that gym. It might be hanging out with those friends. But I will make time for what's important to me. So, if people in your life are important to you, you'll make time to share the gospel with them. You'll make time to sit down and tell your story. And, and sometimes I've found myself just trying to be so disarming in the situation. I was talking with someone recently, once again, they put me in the pastor category, and they're just kind of normal person category. And I could just tell they just relaxed. And I said, you know, I struggle on that same type of thing sometimes. They go, what? And you're just real. Just put, making the time to have those conversations. And, and I think it's also important to ask God to give us a proper perspective on time and eternity. The time that we invest in this life uh, will be nothing compared to the eternity that we have one day to spend somewhere forever. And I realize this, that sometimes just a short conversation might mean the difference between somebody else. Uh, Paul says it this way. Sometimes we plant, sometimes we water. God's the one who causes the growth, right? 1 Corinthians 3, 7, 8, he goes, look, I planted, Paul's watered, God's the one who causes the growth. And that's the way we need to remember ourselves. An application in our life today for us to, to end on. What needs to be cultivated in your life to allow God to give you a greater burden for reaching out? What is it that will cause you to wake up and think, I need to be more intentional with sharing the gospel with people? I know that probably all of us here that somebody in our life that passed away and for that moment of panic you were looking for some sign right you want to search the front of the bible and see proof that they said they were baptized on a certain day or see the gospel on a certain day are you kind of scouring through maybe something they were to to write on a note to to say do i know and there are those moments that sometimes when there's a question marks when someone passes that you realize there's nothing more that you can do for that person, but folks, if that doesn't wake us up to the opportunities all around us, I don't know what will. So do we believe that the gospel is good, that people are lost, and that we have a life-changing message that can transform their lives? So Father, tonight, as we just consider uh, this task of evangelism, I pray the motivation would come from the fact that we um, have been changed so much and love people so much that we want to share with them the news of Jesus Christ. That we would realize that all of us uh, have sinned against you and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death and none of us are righteous, not even one. That none of us are getting into heaven because we're good moral people. The only way we can get to heaven is because Jesus Christ has died on the cross for us and we have trusted in him for salvation. So Lord, even if there's someone here in this class that that either needs to 
hear that message and be reminded of it again to receive it for the first time or some of us just need to go out and, and share that with a world who is so in desperate need to know that God has not given up on them. Lord, you have given us this day. We are not promised tomorrow. Not to a scare tactic, but just reality. So what will we do with the times that we have? In the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Entrust Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We hope that you take what has been entrusted to you here and give it to another.